Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. This is with the first pick, the CBS Sports NFL Draft Podcast. This is episode 56. I'm Ryan Wilson. That's old Rick Spielman there. If you like that smile on his face, there's a good reason for that, and we'll get to that in a second. He's had some success on the golf course, Debo. Uh, conveniently forgot about our $1 bets, but uh, we'll, we'll circle back to that. Uh, but today, Rick, we're taking a look at what lessons we can learn from the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll continue to talk about these rookies throughout the year, but just like the last few days of school before summer vacation, need to have a few loose ends on the most recent draft. So specifically, we'll take a look at what lessons we can take away from how the 2023 draft unfolded and how we can apply that to 2024 and going forward. And wow. uh, to, do, to do that, of course, we have our, our expert, Mr. Rick Spielman. So um, I thought you were going to say Debo is the expert. He, he is the behind the scenes expert. expert. He's the guy behind the guy. You're just the guy. So uh, a couple things, uh, a quick update, Debo. Uh, I think Rick's memory's fading. He brags about never forgetting anything. He forgot that we made the $1 bet about his golf score. I bet you $1 that you would shoot under 84 and a half. And you informed me yesterday that not only did you shoot an 84, you shot an 83. So the question for Debo is, I went $2, I believe. How do you feel about that? I, I don't think that's right. Because we made a $1 bet. How does $1 turn into $2? So every time, if I happen to be on my little hot streak here, every time I shoot under 84 and a half, I owe you a dollar. Debo's the judge. All the hard work I'm putting in. Debo's the dollar bet judge. Debo, what's the uh, ruling on this? I mean, usually I would I would lean in, in favor of Rick, but I feel like him and I are beefing a little bit right now. So <laughs> I think Ryan's we'll get to that in a second. All right, so we'll we'll let it stand to the dollar. We'll send it to arbitration, Rick. But right now, you already lost a bet. You didn't know you lost. And the dilemma for you is, how many dollars do you want to pay Ryan Wilson over the summer? Or do you want to, as you pointed out to me, uh, yip a few putts at the end of your round to, to get 85? That's all right. I've won about, uh, in my men's league, all of a sudden, everybody's uh, a little concerned because I'll be more than willing to pay the dollar because I've won $280 off Look the last guy. three rounds. So, so clip I'm able this. to afford gas to get clip, to the <laughs> Clip this, Debo, because if things take a turn south, I want to hear us playing this clip back when, when Rick can't break 100 back later in August. <laughs> yeah, but every time I can't break, if I shoot above 84 and a half, I get my dollars back. No, I, no, you don't. That's not how it works. Yeah, I'm not going to give you dollars. Over and under. I, I'm learning this gambling thing. Over <laughs> <and> under. <laughs> Apparently, right. it's a continuous bet. I By the way, that. 
If you want to hear us talk about this dollar bet, you can check out the previous podcast in the feed. Rick and I talked impact rookies, impact rookie classes, and even did a Memorial Day mailbag. All those shows in the feed. Check those things out. And by the way, on Monday, next Monday, Rick, going to start mixing things up, having a little uh, summertime, out-of-school fun. We're going to do a 2020 draft do-over. So you'll have an opportunity to right any wrongs that you had in the 2020 draft. Who was 2020? Was that Justin Jefferson? Is that, was that, uh, is that the COVID draft? Yeah. Okay. I'm that good. was JJ, right? Yeah. So no. you may not have much to fix, <laughs> but we'll take a look at some other things that, that uh, we'll look at my mock draft from 2020. Maybe we'll fix that, but that'll yeah. be coming next week. We uh, got 620, 21, 22, 23. Yeah. Between you and Pete Briscoe, you guys apparently know everything. So that's, that's, I'm happy to be uh, this close to greatness. I'll say. Uh, but by the way, you can watch us uh, live as always on YouTube at NFL on CBS. Give us a thumbs up while you're there. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Also, in case you missed it, this has been an ongoing theme here. Rick is the only employee at the company who doesn't get Paramount Plus for free. One of the many perks for working at Viacom CBS. And Depot's going to make Rick earn his P-plus subscription. As a recurring bit of the show, we give Rick an eminently attainable challenge, whether it's trivia or not laughing at his own jokes or being nice to me for an entire show. And the prize, the P-plus subscription. So far, not great, Rick. No, I've, uh, I think I'm 0 for 3 or 0 for 4. And, You're at least uh, 0 for 3. You got golf going for you. This P-plus thing, not so good. But No, uh, no and I keep getting on my emails that the, a <laughs> P-plus subscription trial run for three months uh, is in my emails, and then I use the. Uh, well, once I earn it, if I do get a code to use from the company or from Debo, who represents the company, yeah, uh, it 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 probably won't work. No, that, that's probably a good bet. Yeah, so it's. But we'll all- pretend it will work, and then uh, we'll we'll continue to go through this thing. It works for everyone else but you. But I'm sure it's not your fault. <laughs> of course not. Why would it be my fault? But great news. I feel like today is the day, Rick. We're going to will this thing into existence. All right, Debo. Yeah, I can't wait to hear my challenge today. What is Rick's Paramount Plus challenge challenge going to be today? So, I again, I, I thought about skipping it because Rick's failure to, to follow rules overall. <laughs> but this is, I believe, the most attainable challenge yet. It's kind of a choose your own destiny for Rick. So, Rick, I'm going to need two answers from you to start. Give me a number between one and 250. Like 250? Yeah. Not $2.50? One to to 250. Okay. I'm going to go 100. Okay. And then give me a number between one and 23. One and 23. Uh, I usually like number 33, but that's not between <laughs> one and 23. You're going to fail Rick. this thing two minutes in. <laughs> so can I change my 100 to 33? Uh, fine. <laughs> <laughs> what is this man doing? All right, 33 okay, is your first number. number. 33 and number 10, <sighs> because when I go to the gas station uh, <laughs> and I get gas, it has to end on a 10. Oh, I 100% believe that. So okay. 33 and 10. Okay. So the the choices there, 1 to 250 was the draft pick. 1 to 23 was the draft year. So you have to tell me, in 2010, <laughs> pick 33 was Roger Saffold. Where did he go to college? Oh, that's too easy. That's way. Come on. You know I'm an expert on colleges. The, if, that, if that I was, gave you 
you you actually would have had a better chance with the hundredth pick because that was your own pick, Everson Griffin. Oh, <laughs> I I can do Roger uh, Staffold. The, Where'd he go? I remember specifically watching him play left tackle at the University of Indiana Uh-oh. Hoosiers. Oh boy, he struggled on that one. He, 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 I, that, I have that. Hit. Yeah, that one was easy. So know. that's it. That's it. That's the challenge. That's it. He could have said. 179 in 2002 and maybe he doesn't get the player i want it, yeah. it to be attainable for him man this can't last all summer or can it <laughs> well he got it i'll give you that so that that was actually a pretty good challenge uh and yeah, that sounds like you got debo i mean for all the downtime he has sitting on the beach or in italy or wherever the hell he goes out west <laughs> and drinking uh uh those drinks with uh umbrellas in them yeah, uh, he, he's really a creative mind. A very, <laughs> very impressive, Debo. Let's talk about uh, something less creative. Uh, and, and by the way, Rick, I would imagine following directions is, is pretty critical when you're a general manager. And I mention this because Debo gave you a very clear and simple directions, and it appears you couldn't follow them. So, <laughs> Debo, again, I'll let you explain what happened. We got Rick, you got Rick a present, unbeknownst to me or Rick, and then then I'll let you pick up the story from there. I mean, honestly, I felt a little bad about how the Paramount Plus challenge was going. I thought, you know, we had to reward Rick in, in some way, put a smile on his face. His golf game was struggling. It's just been a rough couple of weeks for Rick. So delivered something, as you can see here on the screen, if you're watching on YouTube, the text from me, Rick, I'm sending you something in the mail, but you have to wait to open it on the podcast. I thought it would be more dramatic if if it was opened on the podcast. Um, and, and Rick failed to do that. <laughs> First of all, Rick didn't know that the package had arrived. He doesn't know how Amazon works, apparently. And then you really freaked him out because you sent him a picture of the package at his front door. He ran to his front door because he thought you were there, followed him around. What are you, two and a half hours away from, from Debo, Rick? Yeah, at, at least. Uh, you know, Debo, uh, and just to get down from his high rise that he lives in, it's probably a 10-minute elevator ride when you're on you know, the top floor of the penthouse where he lives and then getting into his car and then getting over here at least two and a half to three hours. Yeah. Rick, Rick is talking about living a, a, a fancy lifestyle. Rick had no idea that Amazon drivers take photographs of the picture to prove that it's I had, I, uh, that is weird. I have never <laughs> ever experienced that in my entire life. And when I opened up my phone and I said, well, I don't think I got a package <laughs> and there's a picture of a package at my front door. I was like, this is creepy. <laughs> you 100% looked over your shoulder. I know you looked over your shoulder to see if Devo was standing behind you with a knife. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I was looking for secret cameras. I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, that may be worth him um, blowing the the surprise just to know that he was he was freaked out for a little bit. So, Devo, do we to tell him about the surprise? Now we're going to save it for later. Let's let's unveil now. Rick already ruined the whole whole gig. <laughs> Again. <laughs> All right. What do you got, Rick? You got it with you? Yes. Look it, I had a package at my front door. I have not opened it yet. All right, let's see how good you you want to be in these Hallmark movies. Let's see you act. Act surprised when you open the package. Okay. Oh, look. The package is already open. They must have not have sealed it when they send oh. it with Prime Video. I have no idea what this is. <gasps> oh, jeez. <laughs> Bad so- jokes. So if you're listening, Debo sent Rick with special instructions not to open until we are on the podcast, a dad jokes book 
All right, let's randomly do one and then we'll get through it. People really hated those dad jokes you did on the on the mailbag podcast. So just do one and we'll get into this thing. Okay. I'll just pick one random. Just go can yeah. I get through this? Okay. Let me I don't like that one. Uh When they told me to stop impersonating a flamingo, guess what I did? Uh, I have no idea. I put my foot down. Oh, <laughs> Love it, Debo. <laughs> Look how happy he is. Debo, you made Rick's day, and he's a guy fresh off shooting 84 and 83. All right. So next time, just uh, address the package to his wife, and I, I'm she can follow instructions, and she'll have to unveil it on the, on the show. All right, Rick, put it down so we can focus. <laughs> Don't be oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to read the rest of the, the rest of the show. All right, good job, Debo. That was a nice gesture on your part. Rick totally messed it up, but uh, there'll be plenty, plenty of other opportunities for Rick to make up for it. I'm sure. All right, Rick. Things we learned from the 2023 draft, and particular sort of trends that maybe we see developing. And I'll ask you a more general question before we get into 2023 and look ahead to 2024. You talk about in the past, after the draft is over, you sort of go back and self-scout in a bunch of different areas. Was it ever the situation where you would go back over the years and, and try to see how the draft had changed in terms of when players position-wise were selected, how teams were? And we've talked about this before. When the Steelers were playing at 3-4 in the 90, when Joey Porter Sr. was drafted, there weren't very many teams drafting uh, edge rushers and making them outside linebackers in a 3-4. Defenses have obviously, obviously evolved over that time, and, and that position has become much more valuable. Did you guys do that specifically from year to year, every two or three years, to try to figure out how are you going to target players you wanted to fit your system? Yeah, I feel, still believe it comes down to the system you're running. Um, you know, it's like the trend on these smaller receivers now. There seems to be a place for all these small slot receivers because we're seeing so much 11 personnel. And to go with 11 personnel, can I ask Debo a trivia question since I get pounded on this show all the time? What is 11 personnel, Debo? That will be your standard one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Wow. Yeah. Take that, Rick. <laughs> and guess what you win, Debo, for that answer? Oh, my gosh. No more Fair dad jokes not. for the rest of the show? <laughs> I'll, so, I'll send you a password that really works. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right go ahead so uh all of a sudden slot receivers became more valuable because of everybody and how we've talked about in the past the spacing in the nfl now and everybody's trying to create mismatches which will that's a little tease coming up here but i think that slot receivers became in vogue a couple years ago where they are getting drafted higher before uh and i remember probably even back to 2017, 2018, if they were a, a slot receiver that weren't a 16-game starter back then, uh, they can play 60 snaps a game, automatically we would put them in what we called a special cat category, special um, that they would be able to play at a starter level if they only played 30 or 40 snaps. The same thing for a nickel corner. Um because they weren't expected to play 16 games, 60 snaps a game. But now you're seeing almost 70% or greater on teams being an 11 personnel. So these guys are almost like true starters. So they have added, they became more valuable as we went along through the draft. So 
you have to sit there and adjust, but then you have to still talk with your coaching staff. Listen, this is the trends we're seeing. How does that affect us? Because we're going to draft personnel according to what the coaches are looking for to fit our schemes. So it still comes down, I believe, the communication between personnel department, coaching staff, and schematically what still fits. But those guys became a lot more valuable than maybe even five or six years ago. And just look at the most recent draft, right? Zay Flowers goes in the first round. Jordan Addison's 5'11", but he was 173. He goes in the first round. And then the the truly, if we want to cluster these guys as smaller stature-wise, Tank Dell went in the third round. He's he's built like a tank, uh, but he has that versatility of slot and also return. Josh Downs went in the third round. Trey Tucker went in the third round. And then Darius Davis went in the fourth round. And, and three of those four players, Josh Downs, I think, came out early. The other three were at the Senior Bowl. We saw them there. And typically when you see players that size, you're thinking day three at the earliest yes. because of the things we historically talked about. But for these guys to go into the third round is an indication to me that things are changing. And let me ask you this. I don't know if Mike Zimmer uh, had a specific plan that, you guys focused on because he's a defensive guy when he you were in Minnesota together or just a, an overall organizational approach. Once you see slot receivers like that coming into the league, what is the counter from the defensive side? How do you counter that? Yeah, well, then you have to start looking at guys that can match up with those guys. And, you know, back through the Bill Parcells tree and going through that, it's always been big corners that can match up. But when you see in these smaller slot receivers that are quick, not only fast, but quick can get in and out of cuts. You have to start drafting athletes that can match up with these guys. So the smaller corners uh, became more valuable, um, especially if they can play inside. And the one thing that really indicated, you know, not only their physical traits that we're looking at, but when you play slot, you also have to be extremely smart because of the combination routes, because you have things happening in front of you uh, where you're on the outside. As I said, some of our analytics said that you don't have to be as smart and you can still be a Pro Bowl player on the outside. But the closer you came into the ball, the smarter and more the more the intelligence scores came into play. So, But a slot nickel corner not only has to have the athletic skill set to match up with these slot receivers, but they also have to be uh, very intelligent football players. All right. Well, that I mean, this is basically a game of cat and mouse at this point. And I mentioned that because um, the direction we're going to go now, we're going to stay in the slot, but we're going to talk about running backs that not only are running backs, but they uh, provide something in the pass game. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is the clearest example. Bijan Robinson would probably be playing in the slot as well, diversifying that offense in Atlanta, as well as tight ends who can line up all over the place almost with the exception being in line. You don't care if they're in line so much uh, unless you're drafting Darnell Washington. So then the cat the cat and mouse game becomes, okay, so we have uh, <clears throat> we combat the small slot receivers with smaller, smarter uh, slot defenders. Okay, we'll put the running backs and tight ends out there, which complicates the math for the defense in trying to defend those players, right? Yeah, and I guess my question, Ryan, that I uh, had a very, very – intelligent question for you and I just forgot it. So <laughs> now does, I guess is, does the uh, Skinner's of the world, Antonio Johnson's of the world that were drafted a little later that are these bigger uh, safeties become dime linebackers that can line up and try to cover match up with size and athleticism 
versus the Kincaids, versus the Musgraves, versus uh, these receiving type tight ends. It's the same thing. Uh, Phillips, Clark Flip Phillips, yep. uh, who was a little Nick guy, really good football player from Utah. But I think his quickness and his uh, instincts uh, can really match up versus these smaller slot receivers. The, you look at the running back. Let's say you put Jameer Gibbs in there. Uh, you know, he's going to create a mismatch with a linebacker more than likely uh, if they're going to have a linebacker try to match up with him. So, again, I think that one of the teams that does the best at this is Dan Quinn down at Dallas. And we had a Javon Curse who we drafted in the late, think, seventh round out of Clemson who was kind of a, a safety slash corner, but he was 6'3", 6'4". Uh, Dan Quinn takes these guys and creates matchup problems for the offense by putting them on a tight end or putting them in situations close to the line of scrimmage that can create mismatches. So to me, it's a cat and mouse game. And as offenses evolve, there's also a lot of smart defensive coordinators. And then when you are talking about drafting players uh you know and i know you weren't a big fan of simpson the athletic linebacker out of clemson yeah uh but from an athletic standpoint from a coverage standpoint he has more than enough speed more than enough quickness to sit there and potentially match up with these tight ends even though he's undersized that's why you see these 220 25 pound linebackers uh, end up uh, getting drafted higher than they would have five or six years ago because of their athleticism and their ability to match up with these athletic tight ends and potentially athletic running backs. And by the way, Trent Simpson is incredibly smart too. So that helps in terms of the things you're talking about playing in the middle of the field. So, but let's say you're 11 personnel and let's say Jameer Gibbs goes to the slot and then, so is Clark Phillips going to have to cover him or are you going to bring Trent Simpson out to cover him? It depends on what you're talking about. Like 11 personnel, I imagine Gibbs will be in the backfield or else you're going to have no one in the backfield. Right, and then he motions to the slot. So, But you have your 11, your defense right. to defend 11 personnel out there when he lines up in the backfield before he motions. I think defensive coordinators will look, and I think they adjust, especially throughout the season. And let's say uh, Detroit is using Jameer Gibbs in a slot a lot to try to create mismatches, well, defenses will see that, and then they may count um, Jameer Gibbs as a slot receiver. Right. So they would call it a different personnel in group. So they would get the different personnel on the defensive side. So the biggest one, I think, is the mismatch when you have 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, but you put a Kincaid or a Musgrave in the slot, and they're almost like big receivers. Well, if you have one running back, two tight ends, most of the time defenses are going to be in base defense where they have three linebackers on the field. Um, so do you start to treat that as like a nickel defense so you can get your better cover guys on there, especially if these tight ends uh, are creating uh, ish matchup issues in the passing game? And then if you have your tight ends out there in 12 personnel and you see the defense is light, then you start running the ball. Right. So that that's sort of the the cat and mouse game that we're talking about here, and that's why these off ball linebackers are so incredibly athletic. That's why 
uh, Devin Bush and, and uh, Devin White were drafted top 10 a few years ago to get those athletic middle-of-the-field linebackers. And I don't want to say Ryan Shazier started it, but he, that was one of the first drafts in 2014 when the Steelers took him at Ohio State really early. And I was like, this guy doesn't look like uh, an old-school Steelers middle linebacker. And then you, you saw him grow into that role, and he played he played for a few years with Troy Polamalu. And you had that – you talked about this before, having up the middle being incredibly strong. Uh, Shazier – and Palomalu at, line, at the second and third levels is a great way to start. Um, I don't remember who played in the middle of that defense at that time. Casey Hampton was, was gone at that point. But, was uh, it Kirkland? Who? Kirkland. Linebacker out of Clemson? Oh, LeVon Kirkland? No, he played like in the early early aughts, I think. Okay. Um, I'd have to go. I can't I can't, believe I can't remember. I'd have to ask our guy, BMAC. But the point is, Ryan Shazier felt like the sort of the turning point uh, when these linebackers started to become a lot more athletic, could cover in space, could run down guys who turned the corner. And I'll ask you, <clears throat> do you remember any linebackers being more athletic than Ryan Shazier regularly on the field prior to him coming out in 2014? Because it felt like... Oh, that's that's a great, great analogy there on when these smaller, more athletic linebackers... Because, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, he had that severe injury or else, uh, you know... He, he had a great career going before the injury. Um, and thank God he's able to, I believe, start walking again. Yeah, no, he, he's been walking for a few years, I believe. Right. But uh, I think that's when it, it started to change a little bit. And it's like I said, everybody goes in the offseason and all these coaches do these studies on schemes, on matchups, on who you have to match up in the division and how – is your personnel going to match up versus their personnel? So AFC West, how are you going to match up and try to take Kelsey out of the game uh, mm. in Kansas City? You know? You're know, you not. So you, you look at the tape and you kind of look and see what defenses are trying to do, whether it's some kind of combination coverage or what are they doing to try to – and no one has came up with the answer yet to try to uh, take Kelsey out of the game or at least prevent him from – you know, taking over a game. So Steve McClendon was the, uh, played in the middle of that team, 2014, uh, the nose tackle. Um, I don't even know if he was drafted. He made, he made a pretty good career for himself. Two years later, they drafted Javon Hargrave, who went on to great success for Debo's Eagles before moving on. I think he's out West now. With the okay. 49. Trivia question. Yeah. Hargrave, what, what college? Oh, the Steelers. I, I know South Carolina state that like, I, you're not going to get me on the Steelers for the most part. Um, but uh, give me another a, a couple other famous South Carolina State alum. They they got some good talent. Oh yeah, they have uh, Shaq uh, Shaquille Leonard, South Carolina yep. State. And my first my first miss my first or second year of scouting Robert Porsche. Oh, he was South Carolina State guy. I couldn't remember that. Yep. Yeah, you didn't miss on him. You liked him. You were just afraid to write it down. <laughs> I was afraid to put a grade on. <laughs> <laughs> you liked him. Are there any others, Debo? I mean, how about a a guy that Rick was watching when he was like thirty, Deacon Jones? Deacon Jones, you know Deacon Jones? Yeah, uh, he was the head slapper. Yeah, <laughs> Debo made Debo snuck that joke in there. He said you were thirty years old when you were watching him. Yeah, Debo's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> you got the free dad joke book, and you're you're getting all over Debo. Harry Hudson, oh um, Orlando Brown Senior. Kobe Durant had some success as a rookie with the Rams last oh, yeah. year. To Kobe, yeah, he's a good little player. I like him. There, there's a lot of great athletes down in the MEAC. Uh, 
And then there was, uh, I never forgot, one of the best games I went to see. I went to see Winston-Salem State play North Carolina A&T at, at Winston-Salem. Here's a trivia. Who was the receiver that was very productive that came out of Winston-Salem State? This is 1990? Oh, no. It's a little later than that. Oh. God, Yancey Thigpen. Yancey with his Winston-Salem State? Winston-Salem State, yep. Oh, nice. All right, one more uh, Winston-Salem State question, then we'll take a break and we'll, we'll move on here. Who was the uh, the great basketball coach at Winston-Salem State? Remember his name? I bet Debo knows his name. No, I, I, I do not know. Debo? Well, Debo's scrambling to search Google. No, no, I I, I don't know. All I know from, uh, I believe... Um... Stephen A. Smith went there, and that's the extent of it. Stephen A. went there. He Stephen A. played for Big House Gaines, and Big House Gaines was like, growing, up, growing up in North Carolina. We heard a lot about Big House Gaines, a ton of success there. And I'm pretty sure Stephen A. played for him. Um, Let me throw one more South Carolina State, yeah. uh, a great that we missed, played in the Steelers secondary back in the day. Hall of Famer is it Mel Blunt? Did Mel Blunt get a no? Donnie right, Shell. Hmm. Donnie Shell. Donnie Shell. Rick, you're slipping. You're slipping, Rick. You get right, I'll, give you, uh, I'll give you one more college. One go more ahead. college guess, and then we'll take a break. Alejandro Villanueva, where do you go to college? Oh, my God. I, that, that one I do not know. Oh, Rick. Bra- the things you brag about, you end up coming back to bite you. <laughs> he, went to, you uh, he went to Army. Okay. That, West that, Point. Yeah. Let, let me double check that for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm pretty sure with Army. Did he go to Army Debo? Was he on Madden ever? On Madden? At least he knew Roger Saffold. That's the one that counts. Yeah, he went to Army. Because uh, he he actually fought in the Gulf War. He got signed by the Eagles, where he's playing on the defense side of the ball. And then he went to Pittsburgh, played left tackle there for many years, and was successful there, and then finished his career in Baltimore. All right. Let's take a quick break. And, and when we come back on the other side, we got some little fun things for you, Rick. So uh, hang around. We'll be back after this. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Another Paramount Plus commercial to troll our good buddy Rick Spielman. Uh, there's a Sylvester Stallone reality series with his whole family there. Another uh, trivia question for you, Rick. How old is Sylvester Stallone? 72. 76. So if you're if you're listening to the audio podcast, I encourage you to go over to the YouTube version right now at about the 30-minute mark because 
Uh, this was sent to me. This picture was sent to me from our good buddy, Joe Musso, who's on his honeymoon in Tuscany right now. And he texted me, Rick. He said, I had no idea Rick was a tour guide for a wine <laughs> tour in Tuscany. This, <laughs> this is the guy who's given the Italian young uh, young man. There you go. Who looks like uh, like Rick's long lost brother. Uh, what do you know about wine in Italy, Rick? Anything? I don't know. The only wine I know is uh, uh, Boone's Farm. Oh, I right. experienced that in college. So that was about the finest of wines that I have had. Uh, How'd you sweet talk your way into this job? What, what do you? Th oh, well, that that's probably maybe facially. I don't know. He must have some wine in him to take a picture like that and say that looks like me. But look Rick. at the guy's wings. His arms they look like strings attached to the side of his body. Please. Devo, he's not even looking at his face. Rick is so upset that we compared his body type to this guy. <laughs> he doesn't have Devo, any friends. Yeah, did we ever fix that uh, caricature graphic? or cartoon graphic thing and putting uh, Ryan's head on my body? I didn't even. I didn't even ask them to fix it. I don't even want. I don't want it ever to be fixed. Next year, I haven't seen it since uh, Cody Mock was on on Ryan's body. That's right. That was, uh, and, uh, that was something like else. He ate Ryan, and we haven't seen that uh, caricature since. Is that called a caricature? Yeah, no, that's actually I use that word properly. Oh, finally. All right, Diva. We have a comment from uh, from a from a viewer. I just wanted to highlight some oh. football checking oh, in from football. Milan. He's in Milan. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, Rick Rick has been all over Europe. He has yet to, be, to, to go to Italy. So, Rick, you need to put it on your to-do list. There's so many folks. There's the uh, graphic of me after a long, hard workout, and Rick after uh, giving that wine tour. <laughs> Rick, get back in the gym. That's all I can say to you. Next year, I'm going to be I'm going to do some steroids over the summer, so my picture is going to be even bigger. So yeah, I your, would, your head does not match that body. You look like a little <laughs> pea head. <laughs> hey, man, that, that image has hair on it, so I'm not complaining about that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Senior football's in Milan. Milan's one of my favorite places. Uh, Devo, did you go to Milan, or you went straight to Lake Como? Yeah, we flew into Milan. Then drove up? Or yep. did you hang out? Yep. All right. That's great. Can't wait to do it again before next year's draft. Are you? Oh my gosh. Maybe. You hear that, Rick? No, I didn't. Two weeks before the draft next year, Devo's taking the family back to Italy. He takes his job incredibly are, are we considered family? Are we going to do our podcast <laughs> from Milan? That that I would be okay with. Look into that, Devo. I'm sure that's at the top of your list. All right, let's talk about the uh, the quarterback hype. And uh, is it a media creation? Um, is it a thing that actually happens? Rick, I sort of know where you come down on this, but I'll, I'll start with this. So the 2022 draft is um, the draft where Kenny Pickett was the only quarterback to go in the first round. There was Matt Corral. There was Malik Willis. There was Desmond Ritter. And uh, there was Sam Howell. And the conversation was maybe three, maybe four of these quarterbacks end up going in round one. Instead, 20th overall, Kenny Pickett to the Steelers. The next quarterback, Des Ritter, doesn't go off the board until the third round. Malik Willis went also in the third round, and the Titans have since drafted Will Levis. They traded up to get him, so that would indicate to me that Malik Willis's career is probably going to be a short one in Tennessee at least. Matt Corral, the, the Panthers, drafted Bryce Young. His career is going to be a short one, it sounds like, in Carolina. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention Bailey Zappi, who went ahead of Sam Howe. Bailey Zappi was at the Senior Bowl, didn't have a particularly great week, but no one really did. The weather wasn't great that week in Mobile. 
And then Sam Howell, the fifth rounder, which was a huge surprise to me, is going to start this year for Washington. We'll see how that goes. I, I liked him uh, the more I watched him during the draft process, but clearly NFL teams felt differently. So were you surprised that only one quarterback went in the first round? Because we have seen year after year after year teams talk themselves into players, especially quarterbacks, because you need that position to be the right position. And they end up overdrafting players that don't work out. Yeah, no, I, I think teams are trying to be as disciplined as they can. I think especially on Thursday and Friday to make sure that, and they know a lot that the media does not know. They know all the analytics scores, the psych scores, the S2 scores, which we heard about so much uh, before the draft, uh, the intelligence scores. They've been in private meetings with these guys, have done private workouts. So I think they're staying truly disciplined to what they evaluate and not listening to all the hype on the media. The but one Rick, let me, sorry to interrupt you, but let me ask, but historically teams have felt like, it's felt like they have overdrafted. And this felt like the first year in a long time where they were disciplined, as you point out. Do you agree with that or no? Yeah, but I think teams are, uh, you know, taking some risks uh, the lower you go through the through the draft, um, and I know we'll talk about this year's draft, and I have a, a theory on that as well. But the uh, I think when you're looking and evaluating these guys in this draft, not this year, the previous year, teams were very very disciplined on not listening to all the uh, the media hype on these players. Like the third round, it'll be interesting to see. It, it sounds looks like right now Desmond Ritter may be the uh, cream of the crop out of those third rounders. So, but teams I think do stay disciplined um, to what they're, they're how they evaluate and where they develop these guys on the board. Um, okay, so what have we learned from this year's draft? And we don't know anything really because nothing's happened but OTAs for a handful of these guys. There was a clip going around yesterday where Will Levis missed the the throwing net, and you know. I send that to Pete because I like to give Pete a hard time, but it was just him and Ryan Tannehill and Malik Willis working out, doing footwork drills, and then throwing at a net. And Levis missed it. It doesn't mean anything, literally nothing. Um, but the whole conversation for the last 12 months, pretty much, was that Will Levis has a chance to be the first overall pick, primarily because of the physical tools. But the tape did not match the the physical tools that we just talked about. And no matter the amount of trying to talk himself into it, I, I think, and talking about Pete Briscoe, uh, it felt like teams weren't going to make that mistake. Were you surprised that Will Levis, I had heard a week or so before the draft that he his team was concerned they were going to slip a little bit. Were you surprised that a team didn't ro roll the dice on him in the top 20 picks? Uh, not as much as you look at where the quarterbacks have to go, and then the lower you get in the draft, the less a Team needs a quarterback, per se. Um, I was surprised that someone maybe didn't trade up in the bottom of the first just so they can get that fifth-year option. On the reports him. that, a team, that the, the Titans may have been trying to do that. Right, but they got him in the second round, so they don't have that fifth-year option. But And, and I'm going to ask you this, Ryan. When we went on our little pro day tour and got to see all these top quarterbacks, and when you saw Will Levis, did your opinion change on you didn't like him as much as when you watched him on tape? Well, I didn't like his tape at all. I liked him more. But, you know, we talked about this at the time because and you talked about this. It's great to see these quarterbacks back to back to back. And once we had all four in, in sort of the pro day hopper, when you graded them out, 
in terms of just performances on pro day, not talking to them afterwards or going out to dinner with them, just watch them perform for 30 minutes. Will Levis was fourth. And I thought Bryce just outdid CJ. That was close. I thought Anthony Richardson was fun to watch. And I think that per day was scripted where he didn't have to throw a lot of short, quick passes. He just threw the ball 80 yards down the field. And we all had our jaws on the floor for that. And Will Levis, and you talked about this immediately afterwards and the following weeks, that he looked a little stiff. And it looks like Bryce isn't going to throw a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, but Bryce and CJ are much more fluid. And Anthony as well. Anthony has a really good arm where, uh, where uh, Will was very – and you talked about the upper body strength and he, he looked rigid and he looked uh, it looked like it was hard for him to, to sort of show the flexibility you like to see in the quarterback. That said, I thought he had a pretty good pro day, but compared to the other three, it just confirmed what we had seen on tape. Yeah. And, and just even observing the teammates and things it just everything at Will Levis's pro day just seemed forced and it wasn't right. natural. Um, and not just from the throwing standpoint, just from observing the players. And it was a, was it false enthusiasm? I don't know. I just got a sense. What do you mean? Okay. Throws a great pass. Everybody claps with teammates, but it, it just seemed not as natural as when Bryce Young went out and did what he did or when CJ Stroud did what he did at his pro day. It's just the feel that at least I got watching teammates around him and um you know is it an act or is it is it you know pure is it uh not an act and hey let me let me ask you ask you this uh, you i don't think you've talked about that before which is interesting but you've interviewed millions of players and um you actually enjoy the combine because we get to talk to all these players and you give them a hard time it felt to me like will levis of the four quarterbacks we talked to was the not stiffest, but he was the most guarded. And part of that could be he was tired of answering questions about why he played so poorly and the injuries and all that stuff. And I get that. It would wear on anyone. But I also heard that he didn't interview terribly, but there were some questions about his interviews with the teams. Whereas when we talked to uh, CJ, it changed both of our opinions. We got to talk to him in person. We did that a couple of times during the pre-draft process. You know Bryce well. I got to talk to him at the Combine. He was a great guy to talk to. Same with Anthony Richardson. Um, so, and what do we have here, Debo? So this is a question from Stephen Baffey. I think the NFL teams value the interviews at the combine more than the underwear Olympics. Could we get Rick to speak on that and what the interviews are like and what the goal is with them? So that leads perfectly to what I was just saying there. Go ahead. Yeah, no, this is a, a great question, Stephen, and appreciate you tuning into the show. Um, at the combine, when you do a formal interview, you only have about 15 minutes. So every player... We had a scripted plan on when they came in and what we wanted to accomplish in that interview, in that 15-minute interview. A lot of times, that's the initial interview. There's a lot of follow-up interviews on Zooms, at pro days, private workouts, uh, because you want to spend more than just 15 minutes to get to know the person. But when they would walk in, okay, and I remember um, Johnny Menzel, when he came in and the whole interview nothing to do with football. We were going to go back and do that later, but it was everything that he posted on social media and uh, questioning him on, is that what we went, want our organization to be represented by some guy, you know, out there, you know, at the party scene and things like that. Hey, can I ask you um, what, what he said when you asked him about all the social media stuff? No, it was, uh, interesting to see how they respond. Um, some guys, 
or have scripted answers and you try to get them off those scripted answers. And the one thing that I thought was very important and I tried to learn is that we actually had people that were experts in the interview process. Uh, uh, there were, uh, we had a group come in uh, that actually did that for a living interrogating uh, in the special ops. And they put me through an interview thing and, um, and how did you melt? No, I didn't melt, but I was trying to hide what they, and they eventually got it out of me. Wait, uh, how did they get it out of you? You don't have to tell us what it was, but how did they get how, they the, just... the, the secret to interviewing people, in my opinion, is asking open-ended questions to see what rabbit hole they're going to take you down. So, so you just drove yourself off a cliff, Thelma and Louise style? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm sorry. Don't waterboard me. I'll tell you the truth. <laughs> But it's interesting because we would find out things that we didn't know about from the background. We weren't able to get. But when you talk to players and you listen to how they respond, you may have something scripted in that interview. But all of a sudden, it becomes unscripted on how the player answers. And to me, the most important thing of the interview process was actually getting the player to feel comfortable Usually, if you start out with a bad dad joke, that kind of eases oh. attention a little bit. So, um, or, or talk to him about something. Hey, I saw you play here, and you did a phenomenal job. Just to get him at ease, because the players are so scripted uh, when they go into these interviews. The first thing you said to Cody Mock when he walked up on stage is, uh, what, you can't follow directions and you want to be an offensive lineman? Because he may have been, uh, oh, we were doing the sound check, and you didn't do it properly, and, and you just... And not, not all these p people, by the way, know who you are. So they're like, who was this guy yapping at me? But he took it well. He laughed, and, and then, you know, he did what you told him to do. But that's sort of what you're talking about. Yeah, just get them off script, you know, just to get them loosened up. Uh, and uh, I think that's the important part of the interview process because the end result is you want to know what you're bringing into your building and do they fit the culture you're trying to establish. And, not and that's why I think that the conversation that CJ Stroud had with you, when you gave him a hard time about his very first start in college and he made sort of a joke about it, but he wasn't backing down. And I think um, I liked that. I think you liked it too. Danny Cannell, who was on set with us, our quarterback, of course, loved the, the uh, loved the idea of him not just saying, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, he's like, look, man, it's my first start. The weather was terrible. There were 60,000 people yelling and screaming at me because you said I'm going to go back. in bad conditions. Weather yeah. conditions. And you, yeah. you were saying that I got to go change my report. And he says, no, don't, don't change it. Leave it there. So I can, <laughs> you know, prove you wrong. So I, I actually like that about him. Did, did you get that sense? Yeah, no, I love, because then you got a sense of his personality. Right. And that's what you're trying to, to find out these guys personality. So anytime before even when I was in before they came into our 15 minute interview, I would go out and greet them before they even walked in the room. Oh, okay. And just like if you notice, although you don't notice much is how many times before they sat down and we interviewed them at the combine, did I go up and greet them and talk to them for a little bit before yeah. they came on the stage? And the only, in fact, the, the, I, and Debo, next year, we got to make sure you're at the combine with us because this is going to be fun to watch. He, Rick did do exactly what he said. The only time that he, I got a little nervous is when he and Pete Prisco were fighting over each other to get to Roger Goodell to shake his hand as he walked by the set. You would have thought it was a Taylor Swift concert and these two were Aaron Rodgers the way they were acting. It was <laughs> embarrassing. 
No, I've never seen Pete move like he did before. Uh, I mean, he did a flip over a chair. He they made a dive toward the commissioner. I mean, security started coming all over the place to try to hold Pete back. I said, Pete, act like you've been there before. Act like you've been there for, before, for sure. I think Joey Harrington may surprise some people this year. <laughs> By the way, Rick, I was trying to end the show. I, for, I forgot to turn the page over the second page of the rundown. So let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about some of these quarterbacks that went uh, late in the 2023 draft and, and what we can expect from them uh, perhaps this season. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. All right. Debo asked in the rundown, is the Brock Purdy effect real? And um, what'd you say? I just got, I, I love watching the WNBA. I'm a huge sports fan. And oh, okay. Yeah. No, getting a chance to to watch those girls play is just incredible. Uh, and that was, uh, if you're listening, that was the commercial that we just took a break from. It was a and I don't need Paramount Plus to uh, watch WNBA. I don't know. They may have some, some games on there, but right. It'll be on network. Uh, you know, Gosh, going back to 2012, I, I used to cover the uh, UConn sports, both the men's women's basketball, even the football team. And you know Maya Moore, who played for a long time in Minnesota, one of the best players to come out of UConn ever. And she was a great uh, WNBA player as well. I think she's since retired. And like she does, she's doing like the Lord's work, getting people who were unjustly put in jail out of jail, right? Isn't that what she does now? Yeah. In fact, I think married one of the people that she, uh, helped get out of jail that was unjustly put in there. Great, not only a great basketball player, but great human being. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I went down to a couple of Lynx games. I got to know uh, Cheryl Reeves a little bit mm. and spent some time with her. And I thought she did an incredible job. And back during that time, I, they were untouchable. They were a dynasty uh, yep. that won a lot of uh, WNBA championships. So I thought it was great just to even talk to her and learn how she did things and and learn a little bit about the WNBA and just to go watch it live is uh, incredible. The and especially nowadays, these these females and how athletic they are. Uh, and when you watch it on uh, the WNBA now, it's incredible. Really good basketball. It's funny, like you know, I've been doing this job for. By the way, WNBA Saturday, 10 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. You want to check that out. So I've been doing this job forever and, you know, hanging out with you. I get to meet important people in, in the league and the players and stuff. And it's just part of the job. One of the most exciting moments for me as a weird old dude, I was at our, I used to be a member of the Y here in Syracuse. And I was there minding my own business, like pretending to work out on the treadmill. And Brianna Stewart walked by, who played for UConn, plays in the WNBA. She's from Syracuse. So I knew who she was coming out of high school. 
Um, and I was like, oh my God, that's Brianna Stewart. I said to myself, I didn't mess with, I didn't, you know, bother or anything. But um, she's another, <laughs> another great basketball player. Um, hugely popular around here, obviously, because of all the success she had. And um, it's it's fun. It, it's sort of when I talk about covering women's basketball for UConn back in the day, people were like, how was it? I was like, it was awesome because it's it's Hoosiers. Like you have to play technically sound. Jito Ariyama, the, the head coach, does not he treats those they treat them like players. He doesn't care whether you're a, a man or a woman or whatever. Uh, he's just a big a butthole to, to the girls. He's used to the boys. And um, he got the most out of those those players. And it was it was fun to watch because he doesn't put up with a lot of silliness. They're going to run their offense. They're going to play defense hard. And um, it's sort of like Pep Guardiola, though, in Man City. When you get the best players, it's a little easier to compete. <laughs> you, can, you can be the best coach when you have the best players. But, I mean, he's done it for decades. So, anyway, that's our uh, – WNBA slash women's college basketball conversation. Uh, let's go to the Brock Purdy effect. Is it real? So Debo asked that question in the rundown, and we saw 14 quarterbacks go in this draft. And you can see here, starting around four, we had two, four, six, eight, what, 10 guys go? I think nine, because um, the, the, our five favorite quarterbacks won the first three rounds. So nine quarterbacks picks uh, 127 through 239. And so before you answer, is the Brock Purdy effect real? I'll just pose this. So it feels like the Rams took Stetson Bennett earlier than anyone thought in round four because injury concerns, I would imagine, Matthew Stafford. He has a ton of experience, has a chance to play there. I don't know if the Ra the Raiders knew about Jimmy G's foot injury when they drafted Aiden O'Connell, but Aiden O'Connell is another player who has a ton of experience and plays a similar style. He may be less athletic than Jimmy G. But they do have Brian Horrier on the roster, but it would not shock me if Aiden O'Connell had had to play at some point this year as well. So are you drafting to try to find the next Brock Purdy, or are you drafting with the understanding that we need a veteran in there who may have to play and the free agency quarterbacks, uh, they're not no longer available because they've signed elsewhere? I think a couple of things. I think teams are taking swings at these guys, especially on Saturday, especially if they have targeted a guy. And you don't know which one of these guys may be the next Brock Purdy. And one of the rules of thumb, I think it started with Ron Wolf and Green Bay, is to always take or draft a quarterback on set on Saturday. If and now with so many compensatory picks um, that teams have all these extra picks on Saturday. The other thing is that made a difference was when the compensatory picks were able to be traded. That wasn't like that wasn't able to happen maybe five or six years ago. I remember being on the GM committee that I co-chaired with Tom Telesco. And one of the things that uh, we put up to the competition committee and it got voted through was to be able to trade your compensatory picks. And so now that you have a lot of these compensatory picks, everybody's going to take a swing at maybe finding the next Brock Purdy. But I did some research. What do you got? I went back and looked at how many, I guess, successful guys uh, ended up being more than just, you know, Tom Brady, who was drafted in New England in the sixth round. But there were guys that I don't think they were superstars, but they end up playing pretty good. Uh, Minshew was a sixth round pick, uh, yeah. you know, and he's been a really solid backup and started win some games. Mark Bolger. Backup, <laughs> West Virginia. Yeah. Started out in New Orleans and ended up with the Rams and had a pretty successful career. Mark Brunel, who started out in Green Bay. Here's where the Green Bay effect comes in. He was Washington State. Green no. Bay, Washington. Washington, please. sorry. Go ahead. He was drafted by Green Bay in the fifth and ended up 
you know, having a pretty, pretty nice career down in Jacksonville. Uh, Brad Johnson, who ended up uh, was drafted in the ninth round by the Minnesota Vikings before Florida State. Time. Florida State. He was a backup to Casey. Um, Casey. Oh, uh, oh wait. Uh, who's Casey? Kate went to Ari- uh Ended up playing with the Cardinals for a little bit. Debo. You can win Paramount Plus if you can tell me Casey's last name. Gosh, I don't know. Brad's from Black Hills, North Carolina. I do know that. Out of the western part of the state. Who's Casey? What's Casey's last name? Yeah, we're going to have to wait to the end of the show for the answer unless you guys... All right, keep going. I'll think about it. Uh, Matt Hasselback, who was, again, drafted by Green Bay in the sixth round, ended up playing in Seattle. You know, uh, Brad Johnson came on a scene once he left my Minnesota, went to... The Red the Redskins at the time, the Commanders now, and then uh, one day, and then went down to Tampa and uh, played well down there. So yeah, there certainly. are more than just Brock Purdy successes that have come out of those later rounds. So, especially at the most important position on the team, you, you know, people will more than likely start taking more and more swings at these guys, especially with all the extra draft picks that that seem to be happening now because of the uh, compensatory picks and because of the ability to trade the compensatory picks. Well, you mentioned that, and I think it makes sense. When, you know, It's one of those things that when you hear it, it does make sense, but people don't necessarily think about it in the moment. Were you surprised when Shanahan, Mike Shanahan with Washington, took RG3, top five, whatever he took him, and then came back in the fourth round to Kirk Cousins? Because I was shocked when that happened. Yeah, because you just drafted a quarterback. Now you have two rookie quarterbacks that – you know, you're going to go with on your roster. I can't remember who the veteran backup was uh, on that team, but they took a swing at two and RG three, I believe ended up being rookie of the year Yeah. Uh, before he got hurt. I remember playing against him and he was phenomenal that first year when they were running the first time you start seeing the RPO system mm. come very popular. And then you have RG three, I remember watching RG3 at a game when he was at Baylor, when they played up at UConn and just ran up and down the field that night um, and say, that was when, well, do these athletic quarterbacks fit in the NFL? Because it was still questionable if guys that are runners first can actually play quarterback in the NFL or do you make them another position? But when the, the Washington put in that RPO system with RG3, uh, it was hard to stop. And that's why he has so much success as rookie year. And unfortunately, he went through a couple injuries. But that's the thing, and that's the difference. With, I think he was a 2012 draft class because Russ Wilson was the third round that year. He was short, but he was stocky. And he also, right. Russ has a, a knack for avoiding big hits, even though he ran a lot earlier in his career, whereas RG3 was slight of frame and took a ton of huge hits. Right. I think he got injured inside the pocket. Uh, ironically enough, it wasn't that he was out running in space when he when he um I think it was an MCL maybe that he hurt whatever it was late in that season. Um, the fact that he took so many hits was 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 problematic and and I think probably shortened his career. But it was curious to not only have them take two quarterbacks, two different styles of quarterback. Kirk Cousins was more athletic than we probably gave him credit for, but he was not never RG three athletic. No. And if you're running those those sorts of offenses, it, it's interesting. So of the guys that were drafted um, last month. Rounds four through seven. Um, any other names you think besides Stetson Bennett and Aiden O'Connell have a chance to play? Um, Jake Hayner was drafted by the Saints. Obviously, an injury would have to take place for him to play there. Uh, anyone stick out to you? 
No, uh, I think all those guys will be developmental guys. Some of those guys may end up on practice squad, but with the new role, with the third quarterback role oh, coming right, into yeah. play this year, you'll see teams keeping three. It was a trend that they only kept two and try to get one through on practice squad. Uh, but now I think that these young guys, if they show up, Skylar Thompson showed up in Miami last yeah. year during the preseason that they'll keep three, especially with the new third quarterback role that uh, they can be designated uh, on game day. As long as they are on the 53 man active, you can't do that if they're on practice squad. So that's why I think you'll see more teams keeping three quarterbacks instead of two. And the trend was keeping two over the last couple of years. Before we move on, let me ask you about Tanner McKee out of Stanford. Um, He's tall. He's not particularly athletic. He is above average arm, not a great arm. He's not Davis Mills. Um, I mentioned that because uh, the next to last quarterback draft in the sixth round to the Eagles, and it sort of feels like a more uh, pronounced version of RG3 and Kirk Cousins when you talk about Jalen Hurts and Tanner McKee being on different ends of the athletic spectrum. So you talk about practice squad because when you look at the depth chart, they have Jalen Hurts, who just signed the monster deal, well-earned. Marcus Mariota, who they signed. Uh, who fits that uh, athletic, what you want in your quarterback. Ian Book, who played at Notre Dame and was a fourth-round pick a few years ago, I believe. And then Tanner McKee is QB4 as we sit here. I suppose there's a situation where Marcus Mariota, they cut him in in August if Ian Book or Tanner McKee ball out. But it feels like as we just look at this depth chart, Mariota will be the backup for obvious reasons. And then it'll be Tanner versus Ian Book. And there's a real possibility that Tanner McKee doesn't make this roster as a six-round pick, um, even though typically you you – try to keep the quarterbacks on the roster that you draft. Is that right? Yeah, I think, and I did uh, Ian Brooks when he came out of Notre Dame, and he was a more athletic runaround yeah. quarterback where Tanner is more of a pocket passer. I think he has a better arm than what you described. That's my okay. opinion. Um, I think he can stand there and deliver the ball. A uh, little bit, you know, like a guy like uh, Nate Sudfeld is still bouncing around, a la coming out of – University of Indiana, the Hoosiers, since that's the theme of the day that mm. I've won, finally won Paramount Plus, and I will be watching the Stallones tonight if I ever get the right password to get into the <laughs> damn thing. So, but uh, I think that that will be interesting because you're going to have these quarterbacks, the third quarterback battles, and like I said, I think that you'll see a lot more of the third quarterback making a roster because of the new rule. Right. No, that's right. So we'll see how it plays out. All right. Let's talk about the Texans real quick. And right, I wanted to add real quick. Oh, yeah. We have a we have a long offseason checklist for Rick. And, and one of those things is to get some beautiful headshots of him and, and oh. his hair and his beautiful smile. And I know one of his favorite quarterbacks in the draft was Jay Kaner. Have you seen the, the Jay Kaner photo shoot? No, <laughs> I have not. This is, what? this is what I imagine for Rick whenever we get him in studio to get some headshots. I, I did not qualify for the headshot studios last year. Everybody was all dolled up. Even Pete Prisco, uh, which was hard. It took him a half a day to get him ready for his glamour <laughs> shot. Uh, well, listen, again, you want to be an actor? I think these are these sort of headshots are important to, to get in your uh, in your book. I don't know if they call it a book or not, but when you go to these auditions. So commit these to memory, and then uh, I want to see this play out in real time. <laughs> Jake Hader is now my new favorite quarterback. Oh, look, he's doing it, Devo. He's he's yeah. he's such a hater. Let, let's, let's get a full shot. Yep. Yep. Do it again. Yep. <laughs> look off to the off camera. Look off camera left or camera right. 
oh boy, this is going to be a lot of work. <laughs> Between the acting when you open the package and this, I I got some bad news for you. Hallmark movie may not. Hallmark, my my ultimate goal in life is to be an extra on the Hallmark movie. Mystery. I feel like Charles Davis might get the part before you. He's he's a little more committed, so we got to work on that. But that's uh that's right. We got all off season. Martha, not gonna... mysteries last night. It was a great one. <laughs> oh gosh! All right, let's talk about the Texas because I cannot talk Hallmark movies right now. Um, as Debo notes in the rundown, that you know the situation is unique, unique in that Nick Casario, and I think you actually noted this in our email exchange, Rick, that this is his third draft. He's had three different coaches. They got to get this thing right. They have D'Amico Ryan's now, who comes from the Kyle Shanahan tree, which has been pretty successful, even though it hasn't been uh, going on that long. What has to happen in Houston, a team that had 5,000 draft picks this year? They did get their quarterback. You said before the draft, you can't have two first-round picks, need a quarterback, and come out of here without one. They took C.J. Stroud second. They traded back up to get Will Anderson at, at number three. We knew they liked Will Anderson. Uh, I think they have two first-round picks next year. Uh, what has to happen in terms of progress? Because this team has been 7-26-1 and one, uh, in the last two years. Yeah, I think you have to, again, another new uh head coach I think they got the head coach right this time yeah. not that the other ones but at least they're going to give him an opportunity to have success I don't know if they gave the other two an opportunity to have success um, but I, I believe that Nick is going to start feeling some heat it's his third year we like I said the three head coaches he's had three drafts so these guys have to start producing especially in his first two drafts and um they're they're going to have they're going to have to be better than they have been. They can't be in a top five picking next year. Although everybody right now sees them as a top you know picking in a top five, which a la happens to be Arizona's pick next year that can get two first round picks. Yeah, that's right. They don't have their two first rounders because they had to give up that first round pick to move back up uh, to get Will Anderson. So uh, we'll see if it's worth it. And we talked about how how costly it felt like that draft was. Uh, but if you get C.J. Stroud, hit a home run there. You get Will Anderson at home run there. You don't really care uh, about You're going to win some more ball games. You're going to, yeah. you're going to, they're going to have to grow and learn, but I think they're going to be a better team at the end of the season than they are at the beginning of the season. So their 2023 win total, according to, to Vegas right now, is five and a half wins. Do so you think they win more or, or fewer than five and a half games next year? Dollar bet that they win more than five and a half. All right, I'm not going to take that back because I think they're going to win more than five and a half as well. C.J. Stroud's day one, or are you going to try to do the Davis Mills thing? Day one. Yeah, I think that's right. Too. What'd you say? Just go. Just go. I think you said Prisco. <laughs> that's why no. I was confused. Yeah, no, All right, the final thing on the rundown here, Rick can open his package. Oh, right. Rick didn't follow instructions, so he already has his dad joke. Rick, give us one more dad joke, and we'll get out of here. Okay. Uh, Look how excited he is, Diva. What a great present. Wait, is this? There. Oh no, that's terrible! <laughs> Just <laughs> is that a glamour shot, Debo? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's going to be awesome, Debo. Uh, tweet that out, Debo, when we do the promoting the promoting the show. All right, give us a dad joke, Rick. My dog's upstairs yelling. Uh, geez, there there's some bad ones in here, Debo. Boy, Rick thinks they're bad. Yeah, hang on, just one second. Oh, look it. My my library. Everybody oh my has God. like it's he like has a dead joke library. Joke. This dad is joke. a hardback. Oh my gosh. Uh how do you not have I these? swapped our bed out for a trampoline. Guess what happened? What? My wife hit the roof. 
<laughs> and that is the end. Oh, Jesus. All right. Uh, people, th- I apologize. That's my fault. That's on me. I should not have asked Rick to read that joke. But uh, that's it for episode 56. Remember, despite the terrible bad joke, uh, dad jokes, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a five-star review. Thanks, as always, to my guy, Rick. Thanks, for, uh, thanks to Devo for producing and producing the, 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 the dad jokes book for, uh, for Rick to enjoy. And uh, thanks to all you guys out there for watching and listening leaving comments. We really appreciate it. We'll see you Monday for the 2020 Draft Do-Over Show. Yeah.